Education of our children doesn't begin and end at academia. There is a spiritual responsibility on each parent and teacher to nurture and train a young soul spiritually. This is called Chinuch. Join Rabbi G every Monday at 2 p.m. as he explores education and Chinuch for parents and teachers. Torah isn't education, it's transformation. Today, we're going to be facing a very important challenge that we are facing in the community. It's a challenge that I've spoken about quite a lot right before COVID, uh, way before COVID, actually. One of our guests today was actually on the show before, I think about two years ago, minus plus, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. We'll get to her soon. And we were discussing the lack of physical movement, physical balance, how it's impacting us on with anxiety, how it's impacting us with um, just lack of movement. Um, so many kids are just don't have the basic physical needs that they do need. And especially now, after COVID, that a lot of these, um, I'd say, areas that we were just relying on school, relying on on, on the fact that our kids go to school and come back modulated and come back with everything they need um, is not happening. And we do need um, to put the investment on ourselves. And in order to do that, many times we get a fear that we're not professionals and we're not uh, the ones who know how to do it. So number one, we do. We are, as parents, we have the ability, we have the strength. Maybe we need some knowledge. And in order to get that knowledge, I've invited today to the show two of the best physiotherapists in town, and we're going to be chatting with Sasha Hunt and Perla Epstein, both um, well-known uh, and well-trained uh, physiotherapists that work with many kids in many different areas with different interests that we'll get through um, as we speak to them. And we're going to discuss a bit about what we can do as parents. Now, this is very cool because my job is to just say what we don't have and what the problem is, and they're going to have to bring the solutions. So I feel quite happy about that. So if you want to join me on the questions and you want to join me in anything you want to ask them, how you can do to improve with your kids, improve movement, improve um, physical environment. If you're questioning, is it that worth it with all the crime and all the uh, and COVID and everything to actually go outside and do something? Um, any question? Please send it into the SMS line at three four five one nine. Um, any message you'd like to join or your opinion would be very important. Um, let's start right with it, and then we'll get to different areas. So, before we even start, how important is physical physical, Sasha? physical movement? Is, hi everyone, I'm Sasha. And <laughs> um, physical movement is so important for our children, and especially since they're not going to school, they're not getting up moving. Between classes, they're not getting a break time playing on the field. It's just super important for kids to be moving and, um, and actually helps with so many areas of our lives. Okay. Hey, you know, I have to tell you, I was sitting with a girl who came from overseas and she was feeling quite down. And one of the things we spoke about is physical movement. And she said she realized that when she was in school, in a board school, by 10 o'clock in the morning, just going to class, She's done more steps in physical movement than she does here in South Africa a whole day. So obviously she's not uh, managing and functioning. So 
what can we do about that? So I think that there are so many things we can do in the home environment. We can make sure that we take regular breaks to go play outside. We can walk to the park and back. Um, we can just make sure that we're paying attention to moving our bodies and getting, and not just sitting in front of the computer watching Zoom or sitting in front of the TV. Okay, before we get into the practical work and identifying and seeing what we need to do and how we need to do, and we're going to get later on into modulation, it grows smoother, um, is maybe Perla, I know you've invested a lot in, in, in like the bigger picture and in, in the um, NDT, and wondering, because often you can tell our listeners what NDT is, and second, um, when we talk about NDT, does that have another approach and effect into academics and the other areas of the child's function. Hi, I'm Perla. Thanks for having me. Um, so neurodevelopmental therapy is basically just an extra training onto working with kids. It just provides another way of looking at movement and the holistic approach to the body and everything, including the sensory and the speech and the physical side of it. Um, it definitely helps in looking at our kids at school because we want to see that they're moving in a good and productive way and that what they're doing is quality to their movement and that's so, so important with development and gross motor development as a well. whole. Okay, so when you say we're looking at our kids in school, so you would probably be the therapist going to the school and looking at the child. Um, so the parent that's listening to you now and they're at the school and they're the one that's looking, what are they looking for? So I think it's across the board. It's at school and it's at home. And there's things that you're looking for in general. Teachers will report it. You'll notice it, that either your child is slapping at the desk, not sitting up straight, and maybe nervous to climb jungle gyms. They may be nervous to jump or climb up to higher spaces. And there's a lot of things that will come out that you'll notice and that can give you an idea of what is happening with your child. Well, what happens when the parents are scared for the child to climb the high spaces? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we got to deal with that. So it's the move that obviously the, the basic thing you're identifying on a very practical level is your child climbing up, is he moving, is he doing sports, jumping. What are the sports we could look out for? Because as we're not gathering, there's no uh, uh, ball games or, or team groups. What are, what are the, the, the options? So you don't necessarily have to be doing team sports. Um, riding back, swimming, going for a jog in the park. Um, anything like that will be good physical activity for your child. You can make it fun and have a home gym where you guys all do exercise together. And Also, like, um, making obstacle courses can be a fun way to get the whole family involved. Um, and even games like the floor is lava, where you're jumping from obstacle to obstacle. They, there's lots of fun ways that you can play games with kids that um, really in, improve their physical mobility. Much to our mother's uh, horror, jumping on and off couches, jumping from couch to floor, those kind of exercises and activities are great. Okay. So, so now actually the kids are doing the right thing. Um, <laughs> however, no, but I think that this, what you're mentioning in, in the concept of the, the obstacles at home, I remember we did that at the beginning of laptop. It does give a lot of fun in a nice environment and every child can change the obstacles and that would be great. So we can use that as kind of getting into that physical movement, which is definitely very important. I, I, I could tell you um, that quite a few kids that I've been working with that we've added swimming into their daily routine, kids who weren't falling asleep started falling asleep, kids that were having major anxiety. I had a child that her parents came to me with, he couldn't go to sleep for hours every night. 
said, okay, first try two weeks of swimming every day and then come back. They, they were okay when they came back. So it, it is really, really crucial, that concept. And, and I do know that you do part of your work in pools as well. Yeah, so both Perla and I have a special interest in aquatic therapy and we have two pools in the area that we work on. The pool just offers such a great, are we going to speak about modulation, but such great sensory input into our children and doing physio, physiotherapy in the pool helps get them excited, gets them motivated and actually strengthens them because of the resistance of the water. The resistance of the water is actually six to 700 times more than air. So although it feels like you're doing very little, you're actually working very, very hard. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Six to 700 times more the resistance and it doesn't feel that way. No. It actually feels easier to move, especially because you've taken away that element of gravity, which some children really struggle to be up against. So things like jumping that could be really hard on land are much easier in the water. Okay. And I also think it's so fun and exciting, and it's not just you're in another room and you're listening to instructions. Because we're, we get quite involved with the kids. We play lots of fun scenes like games, but it's actually physiotherapy, and it's really, really fun for the kids. Okay. And, and the game, the games and movements that we talk about, these are obviously an opportunity for Lawrence, uh, and which is, I know we're talking from the physical side of it, but I think we should be touching a bit on the need of the communication throughout the physical movement, which is very beneficial. Um, however, we do have to take our first ad break. Uh, when we come back, we will continue. Um, so we're going to take a short ad break in the middle of a very interesting conversation with Sasha Hunt and Perla Epstein. A physiotherapist in the community, a short ad break, and we will be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Back to our uh, discussion, a very important and interesting uh, discussion that we have uh, about the physical movement and the responsibility and the parts that we can take as parents. Um, before we, we kind of uh, continue into this, I want to invite you, anything you want, you'd like to share, if you're interested in sharing, questioning, anything you would like to ask Sasha or Perla or anything that you'd like to add into this conversation, 34519 is the SMS line. So 34519 is SMS line or 101061, sorry, the telegram line, 061-895-1019. 061-895-1019. That is a telegram line uh, for anything you have to ask, add, take part, or whatever. So back to our uh, discussion. We're in the middle. So right before the break, we were speaking about the concept of parents playing games together with their kids, being involved, doing things that are fun and nice. Um, what are the other benefits that we have uh, that we can do, like – Knowing our mode of planning, motivation, connection, communication, social life, in your experience, where do you see the parents involved? So not only is it so important from a sensory perspective, from a connecting perspective, it's also really, really important in terms of your gross motor development or your ability to do all the things you need to do as a child. We all have motivation to move. So, for example, if you're hungry, you'll go to the kitchen and you'll make a sandwich. That's motivation to move. If you're playing a game with your I, child. I don't even know about that, I have to say. I mean, I could have them, my son's here, but I, but, uh, I, I could see kids sometimes sitting by the table, ah, oh, this pizza's cold, and they'll say the microwave's there, and they'll say, ah. <laughs> so I don't know if we even have our motivation in, in, to a certain level 
we're like so laid back. Do it, what? What can we do to kind of wake us back up? So I think the perspective that I'm talking about more is the messages from your body to your brain. So okay. it's a little bit different to that motivation that you're discussing. Okay. <laughs> I also yeah. think that, um, you know, when we start exercising, the first few times that you have to get out and go for that run are really, really difficult. And the more you real, you more, the more benefit you receive from running, the more you want to go for a run. The kitchen and warm that pizza up is super, super high. But if we have kids who are active and are running around, it's not actually such a big task to get up and go warm up their pizza. So that we need, we need activity to get activity. So the more activity we can do, the better. So basically it's a cycle. And, mm. and as we need a push in the beginning. So, so let's look practical because the summer holidays are coming. And I know that parents are missing their kids at home for a very long time. However, this is another opportunity that we can kind of give another push, some more exercise, some more movement. How do we start that environment? That so I think um, and starting the environment needs to sort of come from the parents. And I think the parents have a responsibility to get the child engaged in activity. And it can come from starting with games like playing Simon Says and, you know, you're you each take a turn to be the person who is giving the activity to do. Um, it can even be stuff like playing on the jungle gyms all together and one person's pushing the other kid on the swing and then it's a kid's turn to push the parent on the swing. So I really think getting the whole family involved to begin with um, will just help motivate the child to warm exercises. I think, you know, COVID, we've been given such a special opportunity to be more present at home to have, you know, this opportunity to spend more time with our kids and just being present and that's such a huge thing, playing with them, engaging with them, playing tag, jumping on a trampoline. We all have huge benefits of most of us having swimming pools in our house. So as much swimming as you can do, that is a huge, huge, huge benefit to them. And they, you can, again, exercise should never be a task. It should never be something that's frustrating or that you have to fight about. It should be part of your life and it should be something fun. It should be something you look forward to. So, Make it fun, make obstacle courses, work on balance, add music. Anything you can do to make exercise fun will engage your children more in it. Uh, yeah, a lot of us believe actually that shouldn't be a task. So I think by making it fun <laughs> and music and things can, can actually make it, um, kind of give it another element of socializing and, and fun and maybe fun context. Sasha? I also think there's an element of, because we're all stuck at home at the moment, there also needs to be a safe space for your child to be calm and also just to help self-modulate themselves. So um, I really think that there needs to be a safe space. But we do need to speak of modulation, and I mm-hmm. think it's a very important factor. Um, maybe beforehand, what is modulation? How we identify what kids are not modulated? What would be the slides? What can we do to modulate them? Just, I'm sure everybody knows, but let's kind of get a bit more awareness of the modulation, maybe Sasha, you start with the concept of the modulation, and then we'll go into identifying working with it. Sure. So basically, um, you have sensory integration and modulation, and sensory integration is the method that people use to receive the information, and it's through our senses. We then organize that sensory information, and then we should use it to participate in activities. Modulation comes whoa, whoa, whoa. in. One second. Let's go. Let's go a bit slower on this. I know. I know because a lot of times I have on the show top professionals. We we talk professional, but let's talk a bit. Um, so so basically, our senses uh, have the job of of identifying, getting information, 
through physical movement, through smell, through taste, taste touch, touch, exactly. Yes, yeah. And, okay. Balance. And so, then basically, um, our brain's ability to understand that sensory input that we receive is where modulation will come in. So modulation now is deciding what sensory information is important and what sensory, in, sensory information can be more background noise. So the the example that I so like to filtering. use, it's filtering it. So okay. the example I like to use that if a child is um, moving from grass and to hot tar, the um, that's your sensory integration, walking from the grass to hot tar, and your modulation is acting appropriately to step off the hot tar back onto the grass. Okay. So basically the sensory is identifying what's going on and modulation is the solution to make sure that our brain is is coping with all this information and, and managing our bodies properly. Exactly. So the appropriate behavior that should happen. Okay. So what is the panel? What is the appropriate behavior that we want to see happening um, with our physical sensory um, area within the kids? Like how or how would you identify when your child is extremely unmodulated or not extremely unmodulated? Kind of when would you come and say? Before I even speak to my child about his behavior, let me go take him to his room and calm him down or, 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 or I don't know, maybe give him some sensory diet or kind of some movement. Um, when would be appropriate to say, this is wrong behavior, let's deal with it, or to say, this is wrong behavior, but first we need the child to have his brain calm or confront the truth is I think we're all struggling with this. I think our children are under an immense amount of anxiety around COVID. I think all of them are struggling with some kind of integration and modulation. They're all behaving terribly, and that's just because they are not actually coping with the way things are, and we are maybe not necessarily coping with the way things are. I think all our children can benefit from some kind of sensory modulation or, or helping them to cope with the sensory overload that we're all having right now. So that, as Sasha was saying, that space that they can be in just to calm down, that's their own space. It helps to have comfortable things, nice like bean bags or cushions. It's usually beneficial to have a dark space. Okay, before we go into the this, oh, and I'm going to ask you to go into it slowly, I will remind everybody, 34519 is SMS line. If you have any questions, anything you want to add into this discussion, 34519 is SMS line, anywhere in South Africa or anywhere in the world. The Telegram line is 061 0618951019. Send us a message if you have anything to ask Sasha or Eric. Okay. So the list you said we started with um, a, a quiet place and, and kind of their own area to calm down. That's good for you. And it can help with some children just to help them to count from one to ten, just to you know bring themselves together a little bit. Um, often just that physical activity will At help. What the age kids are you talking about? This can work for anyone. The safe space the can count, start from young. And the counting, um, the breathing. Counting, as long as they can understand it. My four-year-old manages it perfectly. The counting. So, and the breathing. Breathing is a huge thing. Okay. Um, and then just any kind of physical activity. So jumping, um, getting yourself out there. A big, squashy hug can really, really help a child to modulate themselves. Um, deep pressure, that's that's the big hug. And uh, I don't know if you want to add anything. So I'd like to ask Sasha, maybe what Bella was talking about is a great list of things that parents can do. What would you, what, what can we do to teach our kids to identify themselves when they're unmodulated, to come for a parent 
and perhaps to step out of the room to get um, a, a more of the of the calmness. So I'm going to jump in and say that I don't think a child would be aware of this. I think it is the parent's responsibility to pick that up. Um, generally, I think it would be very, very extreme responses to sensory input. So if a child, if, you know, there's a very loud noise, they're going to freak out or they're going to go and hide into themselves. Those kind of, you know, extensive reactions to sensory input would be an issue. But again, I think things are exaggerated right now because of the situation we're in. We have seen that we, in our rooms that we can use um, simple examples. So we draw for the kids like a car, a big car, a small car, and say, you know, when you feel like your motor is running very, very fast, then you need to calm it down. When you feel your motor is going too slow, you need to make it faster. In a practical level, these are, are do you find these things we can implement them? I kind of identifying through something else and saying, okay, if I feel that I'm breathing faster, that I'm anxious or that, I'm about to explode. Then I need to go imagine myself. Sure. I think, and I think the, the car example is such a great example because I think children will be able to understand that really easily. You'll often start to find that a child will start to fid- fidget and play with his hands and play with his clothes and pull on things. And then that's also when you know that, you know, this child needs to be taken to a safe area. Um, and I just think that, um, when you're as when you as a parent can start to see what's happening and that the child starts is starting to need modulation, you can help them identify that by asking them, do you know, how are you feeling at the moment? Do you think that we should take some time out? Is there some a different space you would like to move to? So I think just asking some questions to, to sort of help prompt the child to identify these things would be really good. So creating discussion around it will actually create awareness within the kids. Yeah. I think the awareness within yourself, you have, you know, the two types of sensory issues where there's sensory seeking where a child will seek the sensory input or someone that's defensive. So I think introducing things slowly like textures and for a child that's defensive and, you know, helping with that deep pressure for a child that's over um, will sensory seeking that that can also help quite a lot. So it's basically the opposite of what they're presenting with. Yeah, I also think it's important to mention that not every child is going to have a massive, massive crying, screaming response. The response might just be that they sit and don't interact at all. So it's important. Shut down. Yeah, yeah, shut down. So it's important to also know your note that in your child that modulation does doesn't only be needed when the child is acting. You know, they're on the very high end. It's also you need to look what's happening on the low end as well. So, so you know that that in, in a way is, is a bit more concerning sometimes to parents because many times we see that the kids that are acting in a certain extreme behavior will know there's a problem. But what happens? We identify these kids that are just suddenly shutting down. Is that a family meal, Shabbos table, whatever it is that the kids are spacing out, shutting down? How can we identify it in physical? It's on a physical level. I think you would be, you know, generally aware of your child's responses. So if they always put it into a certain way at a Shabbos supper, then you're going to, you know, you're going to deal with that appropriately. So if they are shutting down, then that safe space for them where they are is a good, you know, good example or giving them that deep pressure or just being aware of maybe not even putting them in that situation in the first place if it is too overwhelming for them. Okay. And what would a parent say, okay, this is something is not right. I actually need to go see a professional. I, it's not enough what I'm doing at home. So there's a there's a few things. Usually uh, parents who are finding that a child is not responding um, so well to sensory issues would go to OT. 
And um, it's definitely a good place to start if you feel like your child is, um, needs modulation. Um, and then generally an OT would then refer to a physio or psychologist or, you know, out wherever they feel what, what other help the child needs. But I think in general, parents are very actually in tune with what's going on with their children and they really should trust their guts. And if they have a feeling that something's not right for an assessment is really, um, something that should be, you know, us as therapists should listen to parents when they're coming to us with a gut feeling. I think a big thing for me is a team approach as a therapist and parents is an even more important team member than we are and they really do play a huge role. So how, this is a big question that comes up many times. What do I know if I need an OT or physio? Which means maybe let's talk a bit about the, the fine motor, the gross motor, and kind of identifying where would I go to for where. So basically physio would be more gross motor um, and strength. So a child that's maybe not sitting still at a desk or, you know, slumping in the desk, um, as we said before, climbing jungle gym equipment, fear of that, um, that could actually present as gross motor or sensory. Okay. Um, and the, you know, specific sensory where we spoke about the senses of smell, touch, uh, texture, all of that, that would be more pretty. So, okay. look, there's an overlap and we the children often benefit from both. So I think it's really just identifying what the key problem And I think that's a very big point that you mentioned before about the, the team because when there's an overlap, you could see who works with what. And sometimes we even will send some uh, texture, um, sensory the speech therapist so we need to kind of see the bigger picture and see how to identify um so when we when we've made this this decision or question about about going to a physio okay so is is the physio more you would say an approach of a therapeutical situation when a child is not physically coping or you would say something you'd say you know what Give them some physio just for strength, not necessarily, but it's, it will be beneficial. So look, I think, um, with a child who is struggling sometimes academically in, in class and they, and, um, they're, they're not coping academically, and a bit of strengthening and movement in physiotherapy helps them with their posture so that they're not concentrating so much while sitting in class and just trying to keep their body upright they can actually have the opportunity to then start focusing on the actual academic work. And then I think physio is indicated. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, so basically when it's, um, you're saying physio is more important when you kind of see the strain already, when the child is not really coping. And, and that's, and that's where I think a lot of the teamwork comes because there's a lot of confusion, a tremendous amount of confusion. Do I go to, you know, you're talking about a kid who's not, um, concentrating in school. So you need to make a decision are we going to go to a physio OT or maybe a psychologist or maybe a speech therapist or maybe, I don't know, a bio or whatever. It doesn't end or medication. So there is still a lot of confusion. Um, what what I think is important to do, we're gonna, we do need to take another ad break, but when we come back, let's try to discuss kind of identifying a bit. Um, if there are areas that are purely for physios, and we can at least take that straight from parents and say, okay, this is a situation that you probably should first call a physio. Even if you don't need an assessment, just kind of to consult, which we'll get to shortly. Um, in the meantime, we do need to take a short ad break. And when we come back, we'll continue. Hi, FM, 101.9 megahertz of life.
We are back in the middle of a very interesting discussion with um, physiotherapist Sasha Hunt and Carla Epstein, who um, run a few clinics around here and um, operate with many children in the community. Uh, before we continue the discussion that we were uh, looking into, how to identify when we need to see a physio, just an important um, message. Did you know that 34% of deaths that occur in car accidents are because the victim never fastened their seatbelt? Also, not having the seatbelt on, on can cause dear internal injury. Don't become another statistic. Buckle up every time you get in the car and make sure that those who are traveling with you are buckled up to. It's not just around the corner, it's your life. This public service announcement was brought to you by Hatsala Medical Resource. Okay, so as we go into this discussion of identifying when we need to go to a physio, um, I just want to invite anybody who wants to join, ask, have any comments, anything you'd like to say, 34519 is SMS line or telegram at 061-895-1019. Okay, so... Um, maybe let's touch a bit um, br- briefly because we are running out of time. Parallel, if you can give us the, the milestones of kind of identifying what do we expect our kids to develop, and then Sasha, maybe you add in when we can see that they're using the wrong muscles. So basically, we want uh, you know there's different milestones for each age group, uh, starting from a few months old until the age of six, seven, that we expect you to see different milestones. And um, if we start with the month ones, we went from four to six months generally to start rolling and sitting. Uh, nine, from seven to nine months, they can start crawling. Uh, ten to anything from ten to eighteen months to walk. So I think often parents panic when their child isn't walking by twelve months, but there is that leeway in terms of, you know, that milestone. Um, after that, we want to see general gross motor developments. We want to see coordination starting to come in, being able to stand on one leg. Hopping, skipping, jumping, jumping with two feet together, climbing, all of these things are really, really important in gross motor development. And between the ages of three to six, there's a general, um, you know, things that we look for as physios, um, and that is part of our assessment. But as parents, I think what you can look out for is that fear of climbing jungle gyms, jumping, not able to hop, not able to stand on one leg, difficulty galloping, difficulty skipping. Um, and then often the, the teachers may pick up that they're not sitting very well at a desk or, you know, they're not coping with their fine motor. That can also be because of, uh, you know, these kind of issues. So definitely to look out for anything that your child isn't doing that you may, you know, that they may need to be able to be doing by that age. Okay. And many times we hear this concept of they're using the wrong muscles. What does that mean and how do you see that? So when we say using the wrong muscles – Children are usually, usually using, using compensatory muscles because the muscles that should be working aren't strong enough. So physios will often refer to something called the core, which is your, your stomach, your back, and your bum. And basically all three aspects of these muscles need to be working equally together. So sometimes we'll find that one set of muscles is stronger than the other. And so in order to com- complete an activity, they're using the stronger set and not using the weaker sets. So basically a physio will help to get all three sets of those muscles working efficiently um, and functionally together and actually giving quality movement 
Um, so often you'll see it when sitting in a chair, a child is slouching or they're holding their head in their one hand. Um, and that's quite a common thing that we see as physios. But they're holding themselves. Yeah. When you see a baby like tilting their head and not being able to hold their head with quite a few months, uh, let's say a half a year old, is that something you would go to physio for? Definitely. Definitely. And and not just, well, it will pass over strength or something. You would. Look, I think, um, I think that going into a physio for an assessment for, um, a small kid can take is very quick and it's very easy to sometimes see if there is an issue. And so I think that, um, rather coming to bring your child in for a quick assessment and just to check that things are developing in the right way is pretty useful and can, can be quite calming for a parent. Knowing that, that things are, are happening well. Yeah. Lisa. Yeah. Okay. And often it's just a small thing that needs to be corrected and then the child will develop well. So if you're not sure, rather go. So if we're not talking about the side effects where it gets more complicated, like concentration, but if we're talking about the pure physio, like you see some of the, the, the gross motor muscles or the core muscles of the body are just weak, then you would go straight to physio or there's a skipping of, of using certain muscles or kind of, um, avoiding different movement, then you would say, just go straight to speak to a physio and see what you can. Yeah. And I think you'll, sometimes you'll see a child only galloping with one leg, um, an older child then, or only using one hand to do an activity, um, only turning to look in one direction. If they're a young baby or only rolling to one side, that's stuff that a physio can help with. I think, you know, with an older child, you want to look at those compensations, which is something you can pick up as a parent in terms of, you know, where they lift up their shoulders um, and their shoulders are up by their ears a lot of the time, especially when they are trying to complete the task. And those kind of things to watch out for. That's, again, a whole body has to work together as a team. And, you know, that is what we focus on in terms of our, of our therapy. So an interesting concept that's been coming in um, – if we look back 30, 40 years, 50 years, there were many milestones that people have discovered. And the, the expectation were for kids to develop the milestones on their own. And if it didn't happen, then you went to a physio, you went to an OT, you went to somebody who can help. I'm wondering if taking in consideration technology, cars, COVID, not moving, are we starting to identify certain milestones that kids are just not developing naturally? And we need to teach them, even if the child has no challenge, the child has no problem. And maybe 30 years ago, this child would have developed it naturally. Now, um, we need to teach them. Like some social skills that we do with speech therapists that 20 years ago was natural, and now we need to teach it. Um, a different professions that we've seen with OT, some things that were natural, now we need to teach. And I'm wondering, in the physio world, what can you say that you're identifying that in the next few years will be a problem or now is a problem already of certain milestones that would just are just not happening when there's no challenge? So I think I'd say that, uh, you know, in terms of gross motor, the way it progresses, a child would develop it regardless. Um, a child is going to sit, a child is going to stand, a child is going to walk, unless obviously there is, you know, some kind of neurological issue. But a child that's not out won't climb a tree. So I think where it is, where it might be impacting our children is in their cardiovascular fitness and their actual, their strength. So I think it's not so much the developmental milestones that will be delayed. It's actually your physical functioning and fitness that will be affected at this point. So 
sitting on your laptop in front of Zoom as opposed to walking from in between classes and playing on the soccer field at lunch. I think that would be the biggest aspect that would be declining at this point. So in that area, are we seeing a shift that if in the past physios were there to support a child who was having a problem, now physios need to become more active and almost offer it as a service to all children to come and get stronger. No, I don't think that that's appropriate. I think that, you know, as therapists, we have an ethical responsibility to be treating children that actually need us and not those that don't. And I think, um, you know, as we said, there's those things that you can pick up that, that would mean a child needs therapy. But well, the kids getting it. They're not going outside. They're not riding bikes. They're not running. I mean, how many of us would let our kids go on bikes unless we're chasing them down? And we can do that once, once in December or three times on a Sunday. How many of us will let our kids go and just run in the park or climb up a tree? So I'm wondering, maybe we are creating a generation that needs it as a therapeutical tool because we're not supplying that freedom and that movement. I agree with you, but I also think that there's a lot of stuff that is available to us in terms of that. So there's so many exercise classes online. We're all very lucky to have gardens that children can do things in. Um, But that's things that we need to make happen. Absolutely. Yeah. They're yeah, not absolutely. natural anymore. No, so society no, changed from our kids going outside and having fun to telling them, come, come, there's a great exercise thing on, on, on Zoom and we need to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that shift is kicking in. I just think there's a fine line between therapy and gym or therapy and an exercise class. So I do think that, you know, physio's responsibility is therapy. And then there needs to be other avenues that um, other people can explore, like gyms, maybe, um, you know, a communal exercise area, park, yes. stretches, yeah. which we, yeah, we are. Yeah. But then we need to be aware of being part Absolutely. of it. Yeah. Okay, we did go over time with our uh, ad break, so we do need to take a short break. And we will come back shortly and end of this conversation. Short break, and we'll be right back. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, something went wrong there, but um, <laughs> I guess we'll get there. Okay, so ending off the, the show, and we, were, we went through a lot of points together with uh, Sasha Hunt and Pamela Epstein, uh, physiotherapists here in the community. Um, we're really running out of time, so I'm going to ask each of you to give me a final a sentence, a message as a therapist, and then we'll discuss how people can communicate with you. So I think we just need to take this amazing opportunity that we've been given to just spend time with our family, to be home with them, to interact with them, to be present, and to do as much fun physical activity that you can with them. There's so much opportunity and so many ways that you can incorporate it into your daily life. Amazing. Sasha? Yeah, and I just think that exercise is so important for all kids in the community. And I think that um, parents are responsible for helping their kid do exercise. And I think it is something that can be done with the family and it can be fun. And, um, yeah, I just think that it's so important at this time. Yeah, and the responsibility is key. Mm. I'd say if anybody does want to consult with you and does have a question, is wondering and wants to speak to you directly, um I can give you numbers. Sure. Okay, we'll give you numbers. Sasha Hunt at 072-664-1587 or Perla Epstein at 071-880-1914. Again, Sasha, 072-664-1587. Perla 
Epstein 071-880-1914. In the meantime, as a, another great show has come to an end, um, all we can say is let's realize how important it really is and how much responsibility we need to take on this physical aspect. And we can't really treat it as a natural thing coming. We need to invest more. Uh, while our parents, I think, had a easier time per se when we ran to school or we ran outside, uh, we do need to look after our kids, making sure they have the exercise and movement they need. And yeah, I guess with that, we'll wrap up. Um, thank you for being us. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you, Craig, for all the amazing work you've done. Um, this is FM We will be back next Monday, two to three. In the meantime, stay safe. I guess we're having a distraction, so we really will end it.